0: Welcome to the Effortless English Show with the world's number one English teacher, AJ Hogue, where AJ's more than 40 million students worldwide finally learn English once and for all, without the boring textbooks, classrooms, and grammar drills. Here's AJ with a quick piece to help you learn to speak fluent English effortlessly. Hi. Hello. (laughs) I'm AJ Hogue, the author of Effortless, English. Learn to speak English like a native. Go to EffortlessEnglishClub.com Join my VIP program. It's time! It's time to join my VIP program. It's fall... Right? September. It's a good time to start. Finally join my VIP program. Do it! Speak English powerfully. Speak English confidently learn to think in English so the English comes out effortlessly so that you speak English effortlessly. That's why it's called Effortless English, because that's the final result. You speak English effortlessly. Join my VIP program at Effortless English That's Effortless English Quick note to start about Q. Just a quick note about Q. It's going to give you uh, uh, a little bit of slang from Q. If you are watching uh, In Pursuit of Truth, his videos, he, he's my favorite one. A lot of people are doing, you know, summaries of Q, that they, they explain what Q has talked about, help you understand what's happening with Q. I like, uh, for the videos, I like In Pursuit of Truth. He a, does a very good job of explaining things clearly, and he's kind of funny, too. He's got a good sense of humor, not too serious. He's got a great voice, too, nice radio voice. So, In Pursuit of Truth. You can follow him on Gab, actually. I follow him on Gab, so I see all his new videos. He does a new video every day about Q. His name is In Pursuit of Truth. And then if you prefer to read, if you prefer reading instead of video, for reading, as I mentioned before, NeonRevolt.com is the best one, I think. Neon Revolt. he just... He just published a new article, and he, again, he summarizes, explains what's happening with Q. But as I was reading through uh, Neon Revolt today, last night listening to In Pursuit of Truth... About Q, I realized actually there's a lot of slang now that's that's popping up with Q, so you may need to learn some of this vocabulary. One of the words is clowns. I'll teach you. I'll start teaching you some of the vocab, the slang that Q is using. One are clowns. He talks about clowns a lot. The clowns. The clowns. Who are the clowns? Well, of course, you know the normal meaning of a clown, right? They have a, the big red nose and the funny hair and they they're, they act really stupid and foolish, try to make people laugh. That's a clown. But when uh, Q talks about clowns, he's usually talking about the CIA because Q kind of always makes fun of jokes about the CIA. The CIA is the enemy, part, part of the enemy. So he calls... Q calls, and a lot of people call the CIA, clowns in America, right? CIA, clowns in America. We know they're the normal meaning of it, but Q and a lot of the people who follow Q and a lot of uh, real Americans who want changes to happen, who support freedom, they call the CIA clowns in America. So when you are listening to stuff about Q or reading Q, if you see clowns, clowns, it means CIA agents. Or or more generally, it can just mean any any agents, any intelligence agents, spies, basically, who are working with the CIA uh, or who are working for the cabal, right? That kind of banking family mafia who's at the top. There's lots of different groups involved in this. The CIA is one of their big organizations. And we've known, I've known since I was in high school, the CIA is a mostly evil, terrible organization. Uh, I think many people around the world know this because the CIA has done terrible things in many different countries around the world. If you know anything about the history of the CIA, you'll know this. They they also are behind a lot of the drugs that are... Uh, smuggled or shipped around the world or grown a lot of the world they do a lot of of the drugs that are illegal drugs that go into different countries that are grown in different countries the CIA is involved in that they have lots and lots of ways to make money illegally so it's a terrible organization (laughs) and when Q talks about them Usually he calls them clowns. So when you see clowns, that's CIA or people working with the CIA, usually. Another little joke about the CIA. Usually when you see Q write about the CIA, because, of course, Q is always, all his postings, his drops are written. He never writes CIA. He always writes C underline A, right? The I is missing. It's C space A, and again, it's a little joke again. Why is the I missing? Because the the I stands for intelligence, right? Central Intelligence Agency. So it's a joke that the CIA lacks intelligence. All right. So that's your little Q slang for the day. Now it's time for a tale of two cities. A tale of two cities. No, not the book. My own personal tale of two cities. A tale of two cities. San Francisco and Osaka. San Francisco and Osaka. They're the two cities I've been living in, uh, I don't know, over the last, the recent part of my life, the last 10 years, let's say. I was thinking about this because, you know, our current bonus lesson for VIP. It's, uh, it's one of my classic lessons, one of my re- very early lessons. And so when I made that, I was living in San Francisco at the time. And, of course, right now I'm living in Osaka. And it's, it's actually quite interesting when I thought about it because I moved to San Francisco from Thailand. I was living in Thailand, living in Bangkok, and I was living there with a couple of friends and I was working <laughs> at a university teaching English at a university called Thomasat. And then some things happened. First of all, my friends all started leaving. My close friends who I American friends all decided to leave and to move to San Francisco. Actually, my good Thai friend, too, named Watt, he also decided to move to San Francisco. So suddenly I was living in Bangkok and I realized all my friends are leaving. I'm going to be here by myself with no friends. I was still thinking about maybe staying, but then I uh, had to leave my job at Thomasat. It's a story I've told many times. Basically, I quit. Probably would have been fired if I didn't quit. <laughs> but I quit first. So anyway, left, Ramf- Sanf- I mean left Bangkok, moved to San Francisco with almost no money. So it was a- kind of tough in the beginning because I moved there. I had no job. I had no, no job waiting for me. I only had a, you know, a few hundred dollars. And San Francisco is a very, very expensive city. Uh, once I got a job and an apartment and everything, in the beginning, uh, San Francisco. My my first impression, right, my first thoughts about San Francisco was that San Francisco was a number one, a very pretty city. Visually, it is it is very pretty. It's got you know it's uh, surrounded by water on three sides: the ocean and then San Francisco Bay. It's a hilly city, famous for being hilly, you know that if you've seen any movies filmed in San Francisco, big hills, downtown especially, but several parts of the city have big, big, big hills. And then in some of the older neighborhoods, they have these kind of white buildings, so there's some really nice views in San Francisco where you'll see these, these really nice white buildings and then you can have a view of the bay which is blue and the hills. It's quite pretty. The weather is uh, very, very nice mostly. They get fog. Fog's the one thing that some people don't like in San Francisco. right? Those kind of low clouds come in. It's foggy. But that's it. It never gets really hot in San Francisco. And it never gets super cold. Like, it doesn't snow there. You never get snow. It's kind of in the middle. But... uh I wouldn't say it's perfect. Hawaii's perfect. <laughs> Hawaii is, like, the temperatures are 70s and 80s, so it's always warm in Hawaii. You can always wear a, like a t-shirt and shorts, almost always in Hawaii. Maybe at night in Hawaii, sometimes you might wear a l- very light jacket if it's windy and a little cool. But Hawaii's perfect. San Francisco's a little more cool. So San Francisco's more of the 50s and the 60s Fahrenheit. Still not really cold, right? It never snows. And so San Francisco, it's more usually, most times of the year in San Francisco, you need to wear a sweater or a jacket. But, but not heavy. It's not cold, cold, cold. So still, very very mild weather temperatures. Another thing I liked about San Francisco in the beginning was that uh, it has a kind of a reputation for being a kind of very free city. Like everybody is so creative and free and ah, all these crazy festivals and all this kind of crazy stuff. Oh, so so free and creative. This is the history. And of course this goes back to the 19 well, I was going to say 1960s where where they had the kind of some of the 60s music famous bands came out of San Francisco the Grateful Dead is maybe the most famous Uh, but I think it actually even goes before that because before that there was the the beat writers who also were uh, in San Francisco much of the time so initially in the beginning had very 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 great feelings about San Francisco on the surface it seems like a great place I thought oh this is going to be fantastic I'm going to love it here I'm going to love it this is going to be great this is my new home San Francisco and my friends had moved there too lots of my friends several of my friends moved to San Francisco see one two three four five at least five good friends or decent friends moved there so I thought this is is perfect it's great it's wonderful this is going to be my new home maybe for the rest of my life okay let's go forward in time (laughs) to a few years ago a few years ago my wife and I moved to Osaka Osaka Japan and my initial my beginning my first reaction my first ideas about Osaka really almost the complete opposite of San Francisco I thought, first of all, Osaka is an ugly city. I've said it many times. I still believe it. <laughs> it's ugly. The architecture, the buildings, it's just not a pretty city. Okay, and now, the reason is because Osaka was almost completely destroyed during World War II. Right? The Americans bombed Osaka into almost nothing. They did the same thing to Tokyo. There was almost nothing left Of this city. So everything was rebuilt after World War II. When they rebuilt Osaka, they weren't worried about making everything pretty, right? They just lost this war. Japan was in terrible shape. So they just needed to build quickly and they needed to... Just build everything quickly and practically, right? They they didn't care about looks. They they just needed buildings and homes and apartments, and they just wanted to do it quickly and uh, uh, for function only, not for beauty. And in general, as we know, the other part of this is that modern architecture, right? Newer architecture, pretty basically anything after World War II, is ugly everywhere in the world. It's it's ugly, ugly, ugly. Modern architecture in America is ugly, ugly, ugly. In Europe, it is super ugly. All through Asia, it's ugly. Everywhere, it's ugly. Modern architecture sucks. Just like modern art. <laughs> it's ugly. So this is why you find that if you want to see a really beautiful city, you know, walk, you want to go to a city and you think, wow, this city is beautiful. Just the buildings, just walking around, you know, this isn't a beautiful city. They're all old. The most famous ones are in Europe. The old sections of cities in Europe are fantastic. They are incredible. They are works of art. The the cities themselves, just the buildings, walking around, it's works of art. Venice is a great example. You just walk around Venice. It's like you're walking in a museum that's just in the streets, looking at the buildings. It is so incredible. Now, nobody feels this way walking around a modern city <laughs> right it's just ugly ugly it's just square rectangles with ugly colors and that's osaka so again on the surface it's not a pretty city it's it's a pretty ugly city visually uh, the other, uh, when i we moved here we were actually moved from kyoto which is a uh, much more beautiful city actually so coming here I felt like oh uh, I was depressed. I was depressed when we first moved to Osaka. Wasn't happy about it really. We came here to be closer to family. But I was I was not very happy about it. Like, oh this place is so ugly. And I thought, oh, it's gonna be boring too. Right? Because again on the surface I thought, oh, it's, it's gonna be it's ugly, it's kinda plain, boring, all every all the buildings kinda look the same on the surface i thought okay everybody's just gonna be kind of boring and you know kyoto uh, is sort of famous for traditional arts you've got a lot of shops in kyoto with uh little local artists making all kinds of great things which i love it's fantastic kyoto's fantastic city as i've said before (laughs) I, I, i still love kyoto kyoto's fantastic and Osaka is not that kind of city. Osaka has more is has a tradition and a reputation of being more of a working city, like a business city, even almost an industrial city in the past. So it's got more of that kind of feeling. Not not really a city of artists and creative people. Not as much. Not like, not like San Francisco and Kyoto both have that reputation—artists and musicians and super creative. Osaka does not. So I thought, okay, great. I'm moving to a big, ugly, boring, horrible city. This sucks. I'm pro, and I, I kept saying to my wife, "Okay, I'm, I'll try Osaka, but probably I, I th- well, probably I'm going to want to move back to Kyoto." This, this is what I thought when we came here. And I, and I felt that way uh, in the beginning for several, several, several months. So here we have the two cities. San Francisco, which I initially in the beginning on the surface looked, seemed fantastic. And Osaka, which seemed bleh, not great at all and this is actually an interesting lesson it's for me personally it's a kind of a powerful lesson about appearances and depth what is on the surface what we see immediately and then when we look deeper and have a deeper experience what we actually find is true and that these two things are very 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 often completely different and especially in our modern media t- age time period Where there's so much deception. This is very true. Now, see what happened with these two cities with time. As I began to learn more and see the depth and experience these two cities and lived in them for years, everything changed with both cities my attitude my knowledge my understanding of each of these cities completely changed to the opposite which is quite interesting so now well let's just go back to san francisco living in san francisco beginning i thought this is gonna be wonderful this is gonna be the perfect place but then after some time i began to discover to see that there was actually a lot of ugliness underneath the pretty surface of San Francisco number one, the most obvious thing were the huge numbers of homeless people, drug addicts and crazy people sometimes people, drug addicts who were homeless and crazy (laughs) sometimes, some people have all three (laughs) and this was already a problem, it was already a very significant problem When when I first moved there, and see, we moved downtown. Timoy and I lived downtown when we lived in San Francisco. For the first few years, we lived downtown. Very convenient. There's some nice things about downtown San Francisco, but that is where a lot of these problems are, so many of these people. And what happened is that after a few years living there, the problems got worse and worse and worse, which I discussed this week. In a, recent, in a previous show I was talking about why because the, the, the government and indeed the people of San Francisco very very stupid and foolish because they have a kind of a communist socialist mentality they have made the problem so much worse and now it is horrible now we go back and visit it is just terrible Downtown, and then also in other parts of, there's a neighborhood called the Mission, which is the other place we used to live, and that's also quite terrible. It's, well, in about half of it, I would say, it's terrible. So this got worse and worse, and we began to see this and realize, oh, this is horrible. If you you just deal with it one or two times, it's not such a big deal, right? You know, some crazy person screaming at you and everybody else. "Uh, It's a little stressful, maybe one time or two times. But maybe just think, okay, that was weird, and it doesn't bother you too much. But when you deal with it every single day, when every day you go out for a walk and you have to deal with crazy people screaming and yelling when you have to deal with drug addicts when you have to deal with homeless and not just ho- it's not just that they're homeless they're very rude many of them are rude and aggressive like Japan has some homeless people too they don't even bother you they don't even ask you for money i've never had anyone ask me for money in Japan on the street even people who are homeless they just they i don't know how they do it but they take care of themselves <laughs> they don't bother anybody But in America, it's very different, and San Francisco, super different. A lot of them will harass you, they'll be rude. Uh, many times i or a friend have for example given a homeless person some food maybe we had went to a restaurant had some extra food and we went and we gave them you know our extra food and instead of saying thank you they'll like yell and say they don't like the food and it's it's this is not what they want and just give them some money and they're just rude and horrible people and this this kind of thing it see it, it happens again and again and again and again when you 're living in a place it 's the repetition that really starts to bother you after a while, right one time, no big deal, two times okay, no big deal, a hundred times, two hundred times, three hundred times it starts to change your attitude a lot <laughs> you know it's, it's, it, it it starts to affect you when you're in that environment all the time, so that Started to affect me and my wife also. I really started to get sick of that. And it's just gotten worse and worse and worse. Another thing that changed about my attitude, my beliefs, my thoughts, my understanding of San Francisco was I that again on the surface it has an, this thing of like nobody everybody is so creative. Right? They're not conformists. They don't follow what everyone else says. Because right, they act strange and they wear, weird, they wear weird clothes and party and do stuff like that. But I actually fairly quickly started to realize that, it, again, the, the deeper truth was completely the opposite. And now I know that people in San Francisco, I would say this is true in also other West Coast cities, they're the most conformist people I have ever met. I've never lived in any place else in the world. And I've lived in different cities in America and different countries. I've never lived anywhere else where the people are such conformists, where they all think and talk and act the same, where they cannot handle any difference of opinion or attitude, not at all. You know people I remember people in America uh, always some maybe still have this attitude that Japanese are conformist. No, 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 no there there are no bigger conformists in the world than people in San Francisco and also places like Seattle and l a. See what I realized living there for years is that all the pretend creativity on the surface... Oh, look, I'm wearing weird clothes. Oh, right? And they're all pretending on the surface to look weird. But then underneath, they all share exactly the same thoughts, the same exact political beliefs. Exactly. And if you disagree at all, if you're a little different, they go crazy. They can't handle it. They get super upset. They cannot handle any differences of thought or opinion. And in a way, you know, it's, it's quite similar if you think about it, if you want to understand this. It's basically like high school kids. It's just like school. You think about, I don't know, maybe this is not the truth for your country, but in America, often high school kids will do this, right? They'll make their hair some weird color, like their hair will be blue, <laughs> right? And they'll wear some weird clothes. To, Look at me, I'm so weird, I'm different, I'm a rebel, <laughs> Right? but underneath you find out actually they're terrified to be that any, anyone might criticize them they're terrified that their friends that their group will uh, think that they're not cool right they are terrified to not be part of the group and all that stuff on the surface of trying to look really weird and strange is actually hiding this incredible fear and this incredible conformity Right? It's a conformity of thought. That's the difference. Just wearing some stupid, weird clothes or having a strange hair doesn't mean you are creative. It doesn't mean you are a, a deep thinker. It certainly doesn't mean you're a rebel. And ye- I'm, what I've learned in my life is that, uh, at least in America, it's usually the opposite. Usually those people are the biggest conformists I've ever met. And this was true in San Francisco. So on the surface, I thought, Oh these guys are so creative, they they tolerate so many different ideas. And then I live there and I realize no they cannot tolerate any difference of opinion at all. They are terrified terrified to think differently, to speak differently. This is why all these Silicon Valley companies, right, which is basically the San Francisco area, Google, Twitter, Facebook, this is why they are leading the censorship. Because they're conformists and they cannot handle people writing things on their websites that they don't agree with. They cannot handle any political pe- groups or people or politicians saying anything they don't like, disagreeing with them at all. They, they are basically like the pigs in Animal Farm. They want total control. They want total conformity. And that's what San Francisco people are really like. Of course, not every single one, but in general, that's the culture of San Francisco. Super conformity. So after being there a year or more, I began to hate it. I began to feel like, good God, this is 1984. It's all for show. All that, oh, the music and the hippies and love is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> it's a complete lie it is gone I don't know if it was true in the 60s but it's definitely not true now complete opposite it's the most conformist place on earth that I have visited and I began to hate it I hate that because you know I like variety of thought I like true free speech I like real creativity mental creativity not just wearing some stupid haircut The next thing I noticed about San Francisco that I, that I began to not like was the drugs, the drug culture. So again, at first I thought, oh, this is fine, it's good. They're not doing the big war on drugs. The big war on drugs is quite corrupt and causes a lot of harm. But on the other hand, they go too far, as usual. And they don't just avoid the war on drugs. They actually celebrate drugs almost encourage drug use. And so what you've got is again you've got a lot of people in San Francisco who are in their 30s, in their 40s, 50s, 60s even who are still trying to act like high school kids, teenagers. They're doing drugs, they're drinking all the time. And the problem with this kind of stuff is you you can some drugs, some drugs you can do if you do them moderately, if you do them with the right mindset, that's, it's no big deal. You, you are not going to get much, much harm, short term at least. But the problem is, these things, if you do them too much and you do them long term, eventually you will suffer bad effects. Alcohol is the classic example of this. Yeah, you know, people who drink very moderate, most places most people who drink are just moderate drinkers you know, they have a couple drinks maybe at, at dinner or something, it's no big deal It doesn't cause them really any harm but of course if you drink uh, 10 or 12 beers a day and you get drunk every weekend okay, maybe for a few years, no big deal but eventually you keep doing that you're going to suffer long-term. And this is the case with San Francisco in general. I mean, they've got a huge heroin problem, for example. Heroin's not one of these drugs. It's not like alcohol. You can't just do little heroin and just relax, okay? Cocaine, they do heavy drugs there. And this really is terrible. It's a terrible, terrible, terrible situation. This is why you see so many drug addicts everywhere the final thing about san francisco that i the the ugliness under the surface is that it is a terrible 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 place for families and that's why for children right families with children this is why you you almost never see children in san francisco You don't see many families. What you will see in some neighborhoods, the nice ones, the nice neighborhoods, meaning the most expensive neighborhoods, you will see sometimes some parents, couples with babies, like pushing around babies or very small children, maybe under five years old. But what what you will notice, if if you visit San Francisco, you'll notice that you almost never see children who are over five years old. You almost never see elementary school children who are seven, eight, nine, ten years old, 11 years old, 12 years old. Very, very, very few. And if you look at the statistics, you'll see it has, uh, I believe in the United States, it's the lowest number of children of any city in America. Well, this, why is this? Well, because it's a terrible place for children. All right, it's full of drug addicts. It's full of crazy homeless people. It's super, super expensive. The school systems are terrible. Lots of, lots and lots and lots of drugs. This drug problem is especially dangerous for kids, especially middle school age, high school age, right? Teenagers. If, if teenagers get involved with drugs... At that young age, it can mess up their whole life. Lives. And so what happens is that when people have babies and have, start to have kids, they leave San Francisco. They might stay while the kids are little, but most, of course not everybody, but most will leave before school starts, before school age, before their child becomes, I don't know, five or six so you walk around and it, it's really weird it, it's a it's a very unnatural community in San Francisco Be, the, in terms of age you see almost no families right no almost no elementary school kids very few middle school age children or families very 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 few almost never see it you also don't see many old people and and by old I would say over let's say over 50 Ah, That that means I'm old. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) So you don't see many people over 50 years old, though. Again, they leave because it's not a good place to be if you're over 50. What you see are just a huge, gigantic percentage of the people in San Francisco are in their 20s and 30s. 20s and 30s, that's the huge group of people. And they're in their 20s and 30s, but they act like they are teenagers, right? Because it's really a big city full of teenagers mentally. Do drugs, party, yeah. We're. have some weird colored hair, oh, right? And then, and just like teenagers in America, be terrified of being different. Right? Be terrified of having a different opinion. Be terrified of being criticized by others. Super conformity. That is the ugly truth. If you visit San Francisco as a tourist, you probably won't notice most of this. If you go downtown, certain parts of downtown, you might notice the the drug addicts and the all the nasty stuff. But a lot of tourists manage to avoid that. They're... Most tourists will go stay near the water in San Francisco. It's called Fisherman's Wharf. There's another place called Embarcadero, the ferry building. The eastern section of downtown. That's all pretty nice. It's all... But the, you don't see the worst stuff there. But when you live there, you see it. And you see it all the time. And you have to deal with it all the time. As a tourist, you may not notice. But you can see how different, right? Once I lived there and I got under the surface, I went from the surface, which is like, oh, it's kind of pretty, and then underneath, ugly, ugly, ugly. I consider San Francisco and San Franciscans in many ways to be very, very ugly internally. The culture is ugly. what's interesting is the exact opposite process has happened to me with Osaka. Exactly the opposite. It's, it's quite fascinating to me, actually. <laughs> because I came here, as I mentioned, and I thought, this is one ugly city. Yuck. I don't like it. I'm not going to like living here. I don't want to stay here. I was very negative about it. But what has happened over the last few years is the opposite of what happened in San Francisco, where here I have grown to like it more and more and more and more. Like I said on the surface, yes, it's not pretty, but what the difference is this, the people are fantastic. The people, it's the people, right? There's the surface and then there's what the people are really like in San Francisco on the surface it looks cool and interesting but then you go deeper and you find that good lord a lot of the people are fucking horrible <laughs> horrible people horrible culture and in Osaka it's exactly the opposite where I have gone from feeling like okay it's kind of ugly on the surface to realizing that oh the people are fantastic the culture is great I really 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 enjoy it now I love it First of all, people are very friendly here, and not in a, diff- in a different way than Americans. So Americans can have a reputation for being friendly. It's, it's probably an earned reputation. Americans on the surface will be very talkative and friendly, in general. N- not all Americans, of course. But overall, when you t- if you travel around America, you'd find most people will talk to you pretty quickly, pretty friendly on the surface. However, that doesn't mean, it does not mean, <laughs> that they will instantly become your friends. If you want to make real friends, it takes, it takes a long time, j- like everywhere else in the world. The Japanese, it's a different kind of friendliness. The problem in America, you also find a lot of ru- rudeness, and a lot of just terrible service, and rudeness, and it's, it's all mixed. Whereas here, the people are just... <laughs> fantastic they it's because it's such a unified culture and the other thing is that uh, Osaka specifically the people are have a reputation for being uh, funnier and more relaxed and very friendly the reputation is that Tokyo people are very, are more serious and that Osaka people are funny and relaxed. And I, I, on the surface, at least, I, I would say that's true. Definitely, Osaka people, uh, I find, are very, very relaxed and fun and friendly. And they're kind of funny. They have a good sense of humor. My wife's family, they're all from Osaka. And they are. They're funny. They're really positive and they they laugh and joke all the time so this that's been wonderful i have everywhere i go you know i go to restaurants i go to coffee shops i just around my normal day it's fantastic where everywhere i go people are so friendly and polite the, the, the service the customer service everywhere i go is so fantastic and positive and great and it's sort of the opposite effect of San Francisco, where in San Francisco, it's the repetition that changes things. So just having, just being in Osaka and going somewhere and the people are friendly, if I go to a coffee shop, okay, well, that's nice. But when it's day after day after day after day, every single time, and every different coffee shop, and every different restaurant I go to, and every place I go, and every interaction, is friendly and polite and positive that begins to have a very strong effect over time the repetition in, in this case in a very positive way we're like oh this is so nice being around so many friendly, kind, polite people it, it just starts to change you you start to feel much more positive about life and more positive about people when you're in this environment day after day after day I mentioned in an earlier show, when my friends Kristen and Joe visited Japan, how, especially Kristen, she felt this immediately. And after three weeks traveling here, she didn't want to go back to San Francisco. She didn't want to go back and deal with all the rudeness and craziness. She's like, oh, it's so nice here. And I, and I was like, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's is kind of amazing. <laughs> Another great thing I discovered here about Osaka is the food's fantastic. A lot of great food, and a lot of great food that's in the kind of a middle price range. I've mentioned this before also. Osaka's famous for being kind of the kitchen of Japan. Tokyo has great food too. Kyoto has fantastic food also. Um, Osaka, I'd say they all have great food, but it's kind of different kinds of food. Kyoto's famous, most famous for its traditional Japanese food, meaning kind of old, old, old. And Osaka's more famous, I'd say in general, most famous, for it's kind of like everyday food, right? Like the the again, like that middle price range, not 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 five-star restaurants. Although there are many five-star restaurants here too. Or three-star if you're going by the Michelin system. So great food, fantastic people, super friendly, funny, relaxed. The other thing I found is that uh, you 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 will hear, especially in the West, I would say uh, America, and probably, I don't know about Europe, maybe Europe too, uh, or Europeans have this idea, oh yeah, Japanese, they're all the same, they're just conformist. This is a stereotype. It's not true. It's not true. I think it comes from the surface, right? Where, like I said, in San Francisco has the reputation of being non-conformist. Oh, they're such crazy rebels. They're so creative out there in San Francisco. They're crazy and wild. But it's all surface. It's all the surface. It's all, it's just the clothes and the hair and, uh, you know, having a, you know, crazy attitudes and stuff. But when you are there longer, you and you dig in deeper, you realize, oh, actually, no, <laughs> quite the opposite. Well, I feel Japan in general, and Osaka especially, it's the opposite situation where on the surface you may feel that because everyone's very polite, because they still have a very civil society, meaning they still follow the rules of having a a, a good and polite society where you care about what other people feel. You don't want to cause problems for other people. And Americans don't care about that so much anymore. They used to when I was a kid, but not now. And so I guess this might give the appearance of that. The other thing is that you'll find in Japan far less of the surface, you know, rebel kind of childish rebellion stuff, the childish creative stuff with, you know, weird hair colors and crazy clothes and that kind of stuff. You will find it, though. <laughs> I mean, you can find it. You, there are certain areas of Tokyo you can go and they're wear, you'll find people wearing crazy costumes and you can certainly find it, but it's less common. It's, it's not what most people do. They're less concerned with that kind of fake appearance so on the surface oh yeah people just kind of dress normally and they act they're very polite and this may give give a surface impression that oh they're 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 conformists they're the same but they're not the thing what's interesting is if you actually have conversations with Japanese people they have a far greater variety of opinions they're far more open to different opinions different uh, political ideas different philosophies um I- anything really they're far more open minded they're far better educated so again the surface and the depth very very different it's an amazing place so now i love it here i love it osaka has grown on me month after month after month <laughs> i like i've liked it more and then more and then more and then more And now it's quite interesting because I started here thinking I'll never stay here. And now I think, oh, I'm just probably going to stay here for life. (laughs) This is going to be my home, at least for the next, I don't know, 20 years. I'll be living somewhere in the Osaka area I planted. I I love it here now. Really a fantastic place. And what's strange is it feels very much like home to me when i was living in san francisco it never felt like home that was one of the interesting things i could never i never felt a connection to san francisco and the people there something always felt wrong and it's all those reasons i mentioned before whereas here even though it's a foreign country for me foreign culture and all that i just feel very comfortable and uh, it feels like home to me probably because we have family here i'm Close to my wife's family, uh, especially the kids, and I—I I enjoy living in Asia. I've always liked that. So interesting, interesting. And the final piece of it is that, unlike San Francisco, Osaka is super family-friendly. My wife just found a, an article—I don't know—somewhere online. One of these articles, you know, they—they they give a rating, they rank. You know what's the best city in the world to live in that kind of stuff and they did a you know the rating what, the most livable cities meaning the the best quality of life in the world which cities give the most quality of life right they're the easiest to live in where you can have the most kind of uh, happy and relaxed life and according to this article Osaka is number three I don't remember number two I think number one was Melbourne Australia I've never been there, so I I can't say. But Osaka, number three, I I see, I know why they said that now. I understand it. And it is a fantastic place for family. It's the complete opposite situation of San Francisco. You walk around Osaka, especially you go into any, I don't know, malls, restaurants, public places, kids and families everywhere, everywhere. Everywhere, the coffee shop I go to—it's this kind of American coffee shop here—and all the time, parents coming in with their little kids—you know, all, all different age kids—they'll come in, they'll bring their coloring books, and the kids will color or the kids will read, and the parents will sit and chat and have coffee. It's it's fantastic. You never see that in San Francisco, almost never. Really, almost never see that in in America in general. Honestly so it's just it's just amazing there's just kids out around with their families everywhere you go everywhere you go you're going to see families and again because it's so safe here in terms of crime it doesn't f- it's a big city it's a very big city I think it's number three in Japan three or four but Crime is so low; it doesn't—it doesn't feel like it, right? Most big cities, uh, the attitudes, people could become kind of negative, kind of aggressive. Uh, crime goes up; lots of problems like you see in San Francisco. This is a really big city, and most of those problems are ab- are absent. The people, their behavior culture, the society, it feels like, almost like a small town in America. It's this huge city of millions, but it feels like a small town in many ways. So, you get the best of both worlds. It's fantastic. Really fantastic. Great place to raise a family if, for a city. Most cities I wouldn't want to raise a family. I wouldn't want to uh, raise kids in most cities, but Osaka, it's okay. It's not bad at all. So, the lesson of all this appearance versus depth, right? Appearance versus deeper reality. It's a big lesson. I mean, it's it's the same lesson we've been talking about with Q. It's the same lesson we've been talking about with schools. It's the same lesson we've been talking about with media. That the surface, the appearance, is completely the opposite of the deeper reality. When you look a little deeper, you find that the reality is completely different than just the surface appearance. This is why it's important to not just accept the appearance. Don't just accept or make decisions based on appearances. Don't just trust automatically appearances. You've gotta dig deeper, you've gotta look deeper. Anytime, anything that's important in life, you've gotta look deeper. Uh, and this applies to so many things in life. Uh, if I was talking to you know young men out there who are looking to date, I would say the same thing. If you're considering to date girls, so many young men go crazy over a girls' appearance, a girl's appearance. Oh, she's so beautiful, she's so beautiful. Ah! And they become completely blind. They become completely blind to the deeper issues, right? The girl's personality, the girl's values, the girl's behaviors, and they will uh, miss or ignore a lot of ugly uh, behavior, ugly attitudes, ugly ideas from a girl just because they're so focused on the appearance. She's so beautiful. They think that beautiful on the outside equals beautiful on the inside, and it does not equal that. And often, not always, not, not always, but often, it can be quite the opposite. You've got to look deeper. If you want to be happy, you got to look deeper. Reality requires some digging. you got to dig in a little deeper in all these areas of life. My VIP program is a deep learning program. That's why I use the word deep learning, deep learning. Right? Because again, right, in schools, with your English classes, they give you surface learning. Let's just go through this textbook really fast. Memorize all these lists of words. Memorize all these grammar, rules. It's all very surface. And you'll do this for years and years and years, and you can't speak. <laughs> it was shallow learning. on the surface it felt like right you maybe you felt like it looked like you were learning so many things look at all these rules i've memorized and learned look at all these vocabulary words i've memorized look at all these chapters and books and textbooks i've and all these activities i've done it's the appearance of a lot of work and a lot of activity a lot of study and yet the result nothing or very little very little result can, for that amount of time and effort Everest English is the opposite my VIP program power English pronunciation course the opposite on the surface they often seem very simple on the surface they may seem simple I'm not going to teach you 20 different verb conjugations for every verb not going to learn that it's going to seem simple I focus on the top 3 or 4 that are the most common the most important for everyday speaking with the VIP program and my other courses too, you get lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of repetition of the most important phrases, grammar, vocab, everything. Pronunciation. It'll seem simple on the surface. But you're learning deeply you're learning for mastery you're training for mastery that's how you become fluent that's how you think in english once you get that mastery once you can speak effortlessly once you master the the fundamentals of the language then then you're ready for, you know, the more advanced you might call it, or that's when you're ready to learn huge amounts of vocabulary. That's when you're ready to learn some of the less common grammar. And all that advanced stuff, we call it advanced, will actually be much, 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 much easier after, after you master the fundamentals. If you don't master the fundamentals, the advanced stuff, well, you'll probably never master the advanced stuff. You can't. You have to go in order. And so my VIP program is a deep learning program, deep learning. Join my VIP program. Join. Speak English fluently, powerfully, confidently, effortlessly. Think in English. Join my VIP program at EffortlessEnglishClub.com That is EffortlessEnglishClub.com Delayed my live show our book club. Didn't do it last night. Got busy with something else. And reschedule so doing it today. education is another one of these appearance things education learning, and you know, one of the big problems with education schooling let 's just say schooling a very very, very significant serious problem with schools and also with parents, I think because parents get this mindset too is the mindset of uh, we might call it timetables like a learning timetable doctors also by the way doctors doctors like general doctors kids doctors uh, schools and then sometimes parents all make a huge mistake they all think that learning happens on an exact schedule right at a certain age your child must learn to do this you know basic reading and then at, an, at another age they have to be able to learn uh, read you know these other kind of books and at a certain age they must learn addition and subtraction and at another age they have to learn uh, multiply multiplication dividing right other math skills and your child must learn to walk by a certain age, and they must learn all these specific things at these, these exact ages, these exact age ranges. And you can look it up. You can look up online all the, you know, these schedules. And this is what the schools do with their curriculum. Curriculi. Curriculize means more than one and the lie of this the mistake of this is that all kids are the same is that all kids follow exactly like they're just in a factory and they're all exactly the same and they're all going to learn to read at the same time where they must learn to read at the same time and they must learn to do certain math skills at exactly the same time and even physical skills. So they've got to learn these at exactly the same time. It's a lie. It's a mistake. It's not true. It creates a huge amount of pain and stress for no reason at all. And just... Reading. Let's just take reading as an example. So much pressure. About, oh, you got to learn... Your child has to learn to read by some certain age. I don't know. What do they say in America? Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe six years old. Something like that. Five. And if your kid doesn't learn to read by then, oh my God, they're behind. They'll be behind. Oh my God. And why is this a problem? When the kids behind, let's say your child, like, let's just say that by six, first grade, your child must learn to read, right? And most of the other kids learn to read uh, basic reading by first grade. But your child doesn't. For whatever reason, you've been reading to your child, and then, but. They're just not getting it yet. They don't seem that interested in it yet. And they're uh, six years old. They're in first grade. And they're not really reading. What happens? Parents start freaking out. Freaking out means panicking. Fear. Worry. Oh my God. It's not on the schedule. He's behind. He's behind. The teachers start getting all worried and sending reports back. Oh child is behind, behind the other kids, they immediately get a label a label, right, they're slow learning disability, that's a good one, hyperactive can't concentrate long enough strange they're six years old, they don't want to sit on their butt in a chair all day long doing a bunch of boring stuff there must be something wrong with them right, (laughs) I'm being sarcastic right So they get a label. Now, occasionally there is something wrong. Mentally. But you usually can figure that out. It's it's usually obvious. There are uh, other very clear signs if there's truly some kind of problem. But almost every time, 99% of the time, there's nothing wrong at all. They're just not ready yet. They're just not ready yet. Look, everybody does things on a different schedule. Okay? In life, in general. We're not... Robots made in a factory. We all have different weaknesses and strengths and interests. And we all do different things at different speeds. But in school, if your kid is one year behind, just imagine that. Let's just imagine this situation. Let's imagine your child is one year behind uh, in learning to read and also in learning math skills. That they're one year behind in both. What will happen? They will grow up... Being told that basically they're stupid. They won't use those words because they're so politically correct. But they'll say slow. They'll say learning disability. They'll use all these other words, which everybody knows means stupid, including the kids. The kids know what those, those words mean. They know what it means. They're not, they're not stupid, in fact. They know exactly what all those fake words mean. They mean stupid. They mean can't learn. <laughs> so they get this label because, just because they're one year behind the other kids. One year. One year and it's suddenly like there's a major problem. There's something wrong with them. It's just a year. Think about this. Let's imagine they grow up. So they're uh, 16 years old. They're 16 years old. They're still one year behind most of the other 16 year olds. Right? So most of the 16 year olds are doing certain work. But your child is one year behind in math and reading and science and everything. One year behind. What kind of label will your kid have? Yeah, again, slow, learning disabled. They're going to feel stupid. Your child will feel stupid. Something's wrong with me. I'm not good at learning. I'm not good at learning. I'm not good at reading. I'm not good at math. These beliefs will affect them their whole life. Many kids will, have, and many people will be affected by this their whole life. They'll, uh, they'll continue to believe this, that there's something wrong with them about learning. It's just one year. So imagine now they're 22. They're 22, and they're one year behind. They're one year behind other 22-year-olds. What does that mean? Let's say they go off to college. They graduate from university one year later than everybody else. It's no big deal, right? You can start to see as, as the time gets longer that this, this being, quote, behind, this idea of being behind... starts to become insignificant meaningless right oh uh, they're 20 they're 22 and they graduated well let's say they graduate college at age 23 instead of 22 that's is that going to affect them in life not really but here's where it really changes what do most people do at age 22? They graduate. They graduate from college. They graduate. What does that mean? Well, for most people, graduation means stop learning. Mostly stop learning. They might, they'll might they continue to learn a little bit from jobs because they have to. They're forced to. But because they've been trained in the school system for all those years, for most at age 22, they really stop doing a lot of... Uh, independent learning. They're not very motivated to learn. They're bored. They're kind of finished. Their learning slows down a lot tremendously. So just imagine your child is one year behind. Instead of going to school though, imagine your child was homeschooled. But they're still behind. They're homeschooled but they're still behind. They're one year behind everybody else. But guess what? They hit age 22 or age 23 They're one year behind. So 23, they finish college. But your child's different. They were homeschooled. So they still have a huge amount of curiosity. They are still motivated to learn. They are active learners, independent learners. So guess what happens at age 23? They don't stop learning. It's a life habit for them now. It's not something that the teacher does. It's not something they need a school for. It's just part of their life is who they are. So guess what they do? At age 23, they keep learning Age 23 to 24, they keep learning. They're learning a huge amount. It's a lifelong process. 24 to 25, they're learning like crazy. 25 to 26, still aggressively, actively curious, learning, 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 learning. I guarantee what happens by age 26 or 27 or 28, they pass up everybody. They pass almost everybody else that used to be ahead of them. By age 30, they are way beyond, way past all those other people who used to be ahead of them. Those other people have become lazy, passive, and they are still learning, 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 learning. And this continues every year after this. They get farther and farther and farther and farther ahead of everybody else. If you only look at it from the perspective look at it only in terms of skills like it's a competition and it's not but let's just look at it they're very super practical just skills knowledge job money okay just that practical stuff the homeschooled kid with that attitude is going to pass almost everybody else even if they're behind most of their childhood they will be far 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 more successful Overall, because they never stop, right? Because for them, learning is lifelong. It's a marathon. Whereas for the school kids, most of them, learning is more like a sprint or a series of sprints. It, it has a finish line. For most kids, graduation is the finish line. Some, For some, it's graduation from high school, and then they're done, and they go get a job, and they're done. Oh, finally, I'm done with school. I'm done with all this learning stuff and for some it's college. I and mean, a few go on to grad school. But in all those cases there's the idea that there's a finish line. But for the homeschool kid there's there's no, they don't have that idea. There's no finish line. It's just learning is just part of who you are. It's just that's part of being human and you just do it every single day. And you'll do it as long as you're alive. This is the master skill, the master attitude, the master mindset that guarantees long term they're going to win. They're going to beat all those other kids again and again and again and again in the long term. Yeah, they might lose in 5th grade. They might lose in 12th grade. But as time goes on, the homeschoolers just keep going and eventually the school kids fall behind. It's because the school attitude's a lie. There, there's no schedule, okay? Every kid's going to learn to read at a different rate. And it is absolutely child abuse. Child abuse. To label a kid, to say a kid is slow or there's something wrong with him, just because they need an extra year to start reading. Even if they need an extra two years to start reading, that's nothing. Two years is nothing. Nothing, especially in childhood. And what we know, actually, is that it, it actually, in almost every case, you don't need to wait until 20. The homeschool kids pass the other kids, usually around 6th grade, 11 years old, before they become teenagers, kind of in late elementary school. Sometimes if, if they start homeschooling really early, most of the homeschoolers pass everybody else uh, in just a couple years but a few, let's say you're homeschooling and even the kids who are a little slower and take more time, still by age 11, 12, they will catch up to all those other kids in school and then pass them and go way past them. So this is why I say you don't need to worry. Don't get freaked out. Don't worry if your kids needs an extra year or even an extra two years to, to get good at reading. It, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter by the time they're 15, it doesn't matter if they learn to start reading at age 7 or age 8 or age 4 or age 9 even. It doesn't matter. It does not matter. All that matters is that they do learn to read and they learn to love it. That's the key part. The most important thing is they learn to love it. Cuz then they'll actually do it and then they'll read more and more and more and more and more and they will catch up and they will pass. Shoom. I have a personal story about this in my own family My sister's One of my sister's boys Was in uh, I think Second grade he was behind. Oh no, he's behind reading. Ah! And the teachers and the school sent back notes and reports to my sister that, oh, he's behind in reading. Oh, we got to put him in some special classes. Ah, ah. And then my sister started to panic a bit about it, and oh my god, she's getting so worried. Oh, he's behind. He's at the bottom of the class for reading at age seven. Oh so stupid she asked me about it and i just laughed i said i said doesn't matter it doesn't matter can he, does he is he liking reading is he doing you know otherwise he's happy and i know him because obviously he's my nephew so i know he's generally a smart kid So I was like, just don't worry. It doesn't matter. There's not a schedule. He just needs a little more time. No big deal. uh, My advice to her, I said, just find some stuff he likes to read. Don't force him to read stuff he doesn't want to read. Maybe he just doesn't like the stuff in school because it's boring and meaningless to him. So guess what happened? That summer during the school, when school was in a break, so between second and third grade, He got one of the Percy Jackson books. You'll remember, I've talked about him before. Percy Jackson is kind of a, it's fiction, but it's it's like Harry Potter using the Greek gods, the Greek mythology, right? Zeus and Mercury and Apollo and, uh, you know, all that, right? Well, he got one of those Percy Jackson books, started reading it, and loved it, loved it. And suddenly, guess what happened? Suddenly, his whole attitude about reading changed suddenly he became crazy about these books. And the good thing is that there's a whole series of these books. So, what did my sister do? She went out and bought all the Percy Jackson books, of course. And during the summer, he read all of them. And now, he was super interested in Percy Jackson. He also got super interested in Greek mythology and all those old stories. So, I gave him a copy of a, I gave him a book, a kid's version of The Iliad and the Odyssey. And he just started reading, 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 reading like crazy. Because it's suddenly super Fascinating, super fun, and interesting and for him. Guess what happened in third grade? By the middle of third grade, he was at the top of his class for reading, in terms of reading scores and tests and all that other nonsense. He went from the bottom of his class in second grade to the top of his class in third grade. Did the schools do this? Of course, the schools did nothing at all. Of course, not. No, it's just, it was all that reading he did during the summer because he finally got excited. He finally found a book, a story that got him excited about reading and passionate about reading. And then, boom, explosion of reading. And he read and read and read and read and read. And his reading ability and his vocabulary, all that stuff, just super fast improved. And then he went from bottom to top of his class and now he's still top of his class and now he loves reading and he reads all the time. Now, thankfully, my sister did not panic. Cuz imagine if they just labeled him, oh there's something wrong with you. We got to put you in these stupid class cuz you can't cuz you're at the bottom for reading and they and then they would have tried to force him to do a bunch of st- Ah, ridiculous, horrible reading lessons where they would try to teach him some reading strategies, which which is complete nonsense, doesn't work it's it's so boring they would try to force him to read a bunch of horrible, boring stuff in the schools, and he would have grown to hate reading even more because they were forcing him to do even more boring school stuff and he would have gotten the idea from being in the stupid class that there was something wrong with him, that oh I'm not good at reading and this belief would have gone into his brain and, and affected him I'm um, the reason i'm telling this story is because i know some of you are parents and i know there's a chance that some of you might have a kid that this happens to that the school says there's something your kid's behind with what with math they're behind with reading uh, and they're gonna panic and want to put them in a slow class and do all this stuff well it's the schools are creating this okay it doesn't matter if your kid needs an extra year or two it's no big deal the, the, the only big deal is if they are in the schools if they're in schools it is a problem because they will be labeled they will be lab- if they're a year behind uh, the school will label them as being you know having a problem not being smart basically and guess what the, the really big problem is all the other kids will notice this oh you know, Johnny, let's call the kid Johnny. Johnny's in the slow reading class. Johnny's stupid. Kids are not nice, especially when you put them all together in the same age in this prison environment. They're very mean. They they bully. And so if a kid gets labeled as stupid and they're in the low learning class or even the worst situation, what if they have to s- go back, right? Like there everybody in the class goes up to 3rd grade, but your child has to stay in the second grade an extra year. We know what that means. Anybody who went to school, you know what it means. Everybody in the school will think that kid's stupid, including the teachers. They won't, the teachers won't use that word, but that's. they'll use other little words to hide the meaning. But basically, your kid's slow, there's something wrong, they have a learning disability, blah, blah, blah. They're stupid. And definitely the kids will say that word stupid. And then your own child, they're in the environment, they they know what it means too. And they'll start to feel stupid. Even though they're not stupid. But they'll feel it. And this belief will go deep. Right? And then the rest of their school life, they're always one year behind, one year behind, one year behind. So they're always stupid when they're in school. By the time they become adults, most will have this... Idea. I'm not good at learning. I'm not good at school. I'm not good at reading. I'm not smart. It's child abuse. Same situation. You're homeschooling instead. You're homeschooling instead. And you're using a curriculum, right? You bought one. It's a second grade one. And you're using it. But your child's just not getting it. You're not understanding it. Really struggling. Having a hard time with that second grade curriculum, the second grade reading materials. And so, you know, if a one year passes and you say, oh, well, you know, you probably just need to repeat the same stuff again. We need to work on the second year stuff some more because you're not, you're not ready for the third grade yet. Well, in homeschooling, no big deal. You don't, you don't have to say anything. You just say, "Hey, let's just, okay, we're going we're gonna to go back. We're going to review these lessons again for a while because I want you to master it. You can just say something like that. That's it, no big deal. No labels, no left behind. They they, don't, they won't even think anything about it at all. Okay, whatever, they just keep doing it. Just keep. They just keep working on it, doesn't matter. You don't have to use a label at all. You don't have to call it second grade or third grade. You don't even have to say anything like that. They just keep reading, they just keep doing everything. You keep trying to find stuff that they will be interested in. And eventually, like my nephew, they'll find something they like with your encouragement. And boom, at some point in their life, they're going to start improving. And they'll start improving faster. And there's never any labels, there's never any pressure, nobody freaks out, there's no stress, there's no reports, there's no meetings with teachers. It's just, oh, okay, you're having a hard time with the reading still. So let's just keep working at this level for a while until you get it. There's no hurry. No pressure. No big deal. They they won't even realize. It won't. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, it's just like if you just imagine you as an adult. If we put pressure on you, what if I came to you and put pressure on you right now and said, "Hey, you're behind all the other effortless English people. I've been testing all my listeners. I've been testing everybody in my VIP program, and they're learning faster than you. You're behind." You're, I'm going to put you in the slow lessons. How would you feel? Your confidence would go down, down, down. It, it wouldn't ma- It doesn't matter. Maybe you're still improving. Maybe you feel great. You're happy about it. Right? You're really enjoying it. You can see, oh, I'm making progress. I'm getting better. Oh, this is great. But as soon as I tell you you're behind other people, your whole attitude will change. You'll feel, you'll suddenly feel like, oh, what's wrong with me? Why, why am I going slower than others? You see how stupid that is? See how foolish that is to to have this mentality, this idea that it's a race, and that everybody has to go at the same speed? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. All I know, when you join my VIP program, after a year or two, you're going to be doing great. It doesn't matter. After six months, who cares if you're behind or ahead of other people? It doesn't matter. All you care is, hey, look, after a year, after two years, I'll be speaking English fluently, confidently, effortlessly. Does it matter? Is it important? If you're ahead or behind at six months? Of course not. Of course not. So why do that to children? Why should we do that to children? Well, the answer is we shouldn't. And children, you know, they're not like adults. They can't think about this stuff as clearly. They don't understand it as much. So with a kid, it's really damaging. It's really damaging for a child to feel like they're slow or they're stupid just because the timing is different. That's all it is, the timing. I think about my own life. What if, as an adult, okay, I graduated from school at age 23. <laughs> Because I was a little bit lazy in college, <laughs> took a break during college, and then I uh, got out. And then I, you know, I didn't go get a, immediately get a career. In fact, I got a degree in journalism. And when I graduated, I did, I had already decided I hate journalism. So, oh, now what do I do? I got a bunch of really low-paid jobs. Then I went back to got a master's degree. Then I worked a little some as a social worker making very little money then I started doing some traveling and doing some teaching part time and come come back to America and do some more social work and I was broke and had no money and then I lived in my car then I lived in my van and at that time at that same time that's through my 20s and my 30s most of my 30s at that same time a lot of my friends say from high school they graduated they got jobs they got careers and they were getting you know pay raises and getting more money and getting more money and getting more money. So let's say at the age of 35, if you if you had looked at the age of 35, at me and my high school friends, you might say, oh god, what's wrong? with AJ's behind. AJ's behind. He's living in his car. These other guys have jobs with big companies and AJ's living in his car. He's behind. Imagine if I had thought like that. I, I, I would have if I felt like, oh, I'm a loser. I'm living living in my car and everyone else is getting these good paychecks. Now, luckily, I didn't think like that. And I was constantly learning, 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 learning still. That's all I cared about, really. I was just trying to learn and have interesting experiences and explore the world. I was just curious to try all these different things. And what's interesting is then five years later, by age 40, I had passed all of my friends if you just 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 in terms of money if you just looked at bank accounts I was richer than every single one of my high school friends just 5 years later at age 35 I'm behind everybody if you had to use a timetable you would say oh AJ's behind 5 years later I'm the richest person <laughs> in my high school class <laughs> You see how crazy that is? How it's crazy to try to have these, these, these timetable ideas about things. What I've seen is that as long as you focus on being curious about the world, valuing hard work, right? Self-discipline, developing self-discipline, being curious and exploring the world, and then just learning, 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 lifelong learning. You do those three things and eventually it all works out quite well. (laughs) Even just measuring things like money or uh, career, really materialistic things really, but even just in those areas, it usually ends up much better. So I say to you, number one, if you were one of those kids, if you were one of those kids who was told that you had a learning disability, if you are one of those kids that was put in the slower classes and got some belief that you're bad at English or you're bad at reading or you're bad at learning or you're bad at school or you're bad at math, put that out of your head. It's time for you to let go of that. It wasn't true, okay? They were wrong. They were wrong about that. And you can change that right now because it's lifelong learning. It doesn't matter if you're 50 years old right now, like me it <laughs> doesn't matter if you're 70 if you want to learn something you just go learn it okay it doesn't matter those beliefs are old and bad and wrong they were wrong about you if you're a parent and you're worried about one of your children and people in the school system are telling you this about your child they're wrong don't panic don't put any labels on your kid and if 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 the school continues to do that take them out of the school system and homeschool them guarantee guarantee they're gonna do great just give them a few years relax realize it's a marathon right it's a long long run it's not a sprint it's not a short quick run it's a long 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 run that goes all of life take them out of school relax your kids gonna be fine they're gonna be do great alright well thank you so much hope you've enjoyed today's show I'm going to walk home because I still have to do another show tonight I've got the live show we're doing chapter 2 of Dumbing Us Down by John Taylor Gatto as always have a great day and join my VIP program join my VIP I need a little song right a lot of of, advertisements and companies they always have some little song so I need to, I can make a little VIP song. Join the VIP program. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Join my VIP program at effortlessenglishclub.com. Effortlessenglishclub.com. Join today.